Hello everybody and welcome to Back to Front episode number four with me your host Wesley Dyson. This is the new show we get where we get to turn the tables on Midnight McBride and this show we ask a series of questions which Midnight McBride has no idea what we're going to ask him. So Midnight McBride how hey, are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All good. This, this is new. <laughs> this is the one I'm most worried about. Oh, is it then? Yes. You have yes. no idea what's going to happen, do you? You have no. no idea. The thing with this is, because you know me very well, <laughs> you could destroy me. <laughs> this could be so, the end of your broadcasting career, is what <laughs> So, please be kind. Please be gentle. I'll... I'll, I'll Try my best. Going back to the beginning. Yes. We both grew up in Bolton. Yes. I grew up in Farnworth, people know about. But Bolton is a big town. Yeah, so it used to be the biggest town in Europe. At one time, yeah, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. So where in Bolton did um, Midnight McBride grow up? Well, all over. But I popped out in Breitman. You popped out in Breitman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... That's where it started, but as, as I've talked about many times, I, I moved around a lot as a child, so I've lived in, you know, oh, Astley Bridge, Heaton, Halliwell, Edgerton, Braitman. Got about. Yeah, ev everywhere. I've lived in pretty much every suburb. Yeah. Uh, you know. And like you say, me being fortunate enough to know you for quite a while now, and your family, yeah. um, obviously your sisters and your brother. Mm -hmm. um, the one question I was going to ask... Sure. Is in the book you talk about obviously the the fighting and growing up in Bolton. Yeah. But I wanted to know what was your happiest childhood memory? Yeah, see that's a difficult question to answer. Um just because obviously this shows off the cuff, so I don't have time to, <laughs> you know, go through the depths of my memory and then pick a moment. But yeah, there are definitely some some fond memories. I think I remember being in Africa and we, and it's funny as wow. well. And my, because we, you know, I lived in Africa for a while, I went back and forwards and mm. me and my sister Bernadette went to a party and we were dressed as, I think I was Tarzan and <laughs> she was Maid Marian. I think that's <laughs> what right. A, what a combination. Mm. It may be two parties. We may have been Robin Hood and Maid Marian and then it was a different party. But I remember being fancy dressed as Tarzan and... I think people arrived at the house in Africa and I ran down the stairs and I went, ah, <laughs> I ran down the stairs and my, my pants fell down. <laughs> my, my, my pants fell down which, as I did it. Become, and I ran back never up, changed. That's I know, not really, no. It's, and I ran back upstairs crying and obviously I was a bit upset at the time, but there was lots of things like that, you know, that, um, yeah, exciting times, I suppose, as well. And, experiences yeah. yeah but yeah i remember i remember that party that was that was fun i also remember another party so it's like fancy dress doesn't kind of go your way because like i said obviously in the book you mentioned the fighting so on and so forth yes but i remember a, a, a party where it, again it was fancy dress the worrying thing is <laughs> i don't know which one you mean because <laughs> where it was um i believe toad of toad hall and somebody anyway a fight broke out ah yes where you had to stop because you found yourself in 
absolute stitches. Yeah, well, I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. This fight broke out, and obviously we, you know, we all got involved. And Toad to Toad Hall, Batman and Spider Man were all fighting <laughs> in the street. <laughs> and you, you had to take a back step and go. This is the most surreal <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, I have is this really seen. happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Toad yeah. to Toad Hall's a right nasty bastard. <laughs> I tell you, do you not want to mess with that guy. Predominantly, I, I love fancy dress. It's brilliant. It's great, isn't it? I went to one as a suitcase. I got right. a like a, a suitcase, cut arms and legs in it, and wore a suitcase to yeah. a party. I've also been to a pee party as a prostitute. I regularly got dressed up as a woman, you know, and if I... I <laughs> you still do that. Uh, you not don't public necessarily anymore. have to go to fancy yeah. dress yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in public. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fancy dress, loads of fun. What a load of fun. They're great, and they? you just yeah. start escapism as well. And then obviously growing up in Bolton, you you got well known on the party circuit because it's like one of my sayings was a party wasn't a party without your presence. You were well known for being invited to a lot of diff different parties. Different. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting yeah. different parties. Yeah. But obviously with these parties and like you talk about it openly in your book was the drugs yeah the, the the drink so was it like 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 the normal progressions like somebody has a joint and then obviously it goes to a party and then something else on how did that happen for you yeah yeah it started with cannabis in my early teens then it yeah. went on to lsd which you know, I took a lot of when I was younger. Then amphetamine and ecstasy, it was the club scene, yeah. you know, so it moved on to there. So, and then from there, a whole host and array of other drugs tried in between. But then I arrived at cocaine and cocaine is very destructive. You know, it's, yeah. it's not good. And even that at the beginning, I didn't see it as a problem and it seemed like fun, but you know, a decade later and it, it wasn't fun, you know, it started no, to become a uh, dependency. And rather than taking it here and there, taking it frequently, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't need to go into quantities, but whatever I talk to anybody about cocaine, they say, well, I did this much coke and I did that much coke. Mm. And then I tell them what I did. Yeah. And they're usually quite staggered at the amount of cocaine. Staggered, the like, mm. the, there's enough to put rhinoceros. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to, kill, to kill a horse. <laughs> well, but, but, but talking about cocaine, now I've, I've noticed it, and you talk about it openly, but you have one kind of like unique party trick that I've noticed and oh, uh, right, other yeah. people have noticed is that you have this canny ability to be able to whistle. Ah, right, <laughs> through, yeah, through, yeah. Through, well, through your nose, because obviously with any kind of substance abuse at the time, people don't realise the actual damage that you, you're doing to your yeah. own body. Well, because I first discovered it when I remember being in a room with people and we could hear this noise and everyone what is that noise? And we're all, we're all off our head. Yeah. And it was driving everybody crazy. And, <laughs> and we'd be listening. And we'd go, oh, there it is again. What is it? <laughs> and, and we were cracking up. And then I realised eventually it was me. Yeah. And I had a hole in the septum, you know, because mm. I'd taken that much cocaine. And yeah, I, I whistled through my nose. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I used to have to sleep and I'd get toilet paper. And then... If I, I had to put put one of my nostrils, because I only whistled if I breathed up both at the same time, because right. uh, there's a hole. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not great, and it can heal and repair over time, predominantly, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so I had a, a secret secret, <laughs> a secret whistle. <laughs> like, 
Yes. And making that <laughs> At first it was, the first time I was mortified, but then I've had a bit of fun with it as well, you know, because I could <laughs> whistle it. What's going on? You know, and I don't know, I can't hear anything, what are you talking about? And then yeah. I'd whistle again, so. But obviously away from the drugs, and I, I don't know people whether people know your background or not, but you obviously went to, to college um, and then was it on to uni? Because yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. Because by trade, before obviously before the show and everything else, you worked on various projects up and down the country. So what made you go into that career path to start with? I, I wish I hadn't. I really yeah. wish I hadn't. And I have no regrets. But if I could make different choices, if I could go back and make different choices, I would. That's It's very different from a regret. Mm. I think a regret is where you rue something and you wish it hadn't happened and stuff. It's done, and I accept that. But definitely with the wisdom I have now, You'd, you would make different choices. Many of them, we all would, because, you know, we'd, we'd veer away from some of the things in our life that caused us suffering and pain or that didn't make us feel good. Construction, for me, it's what my family had always done. It's what my granddad had done. It's what my uncles did. It's yeah. what my father did. It's really all, you know, that's all they'd ever done. It Obviously, with Irish heritage as well. And so I was just sort of guided into that that path. And predominantly, I think it was done with the right intentions because... You know, people thought that maybe that's where you could make a lot of money, but obviously I don't see that as good careers advice anymore. No. And so I ended up going into construction and I was highly qualified and I did a lot of very big projects and I talked about, you know, football stadiums, more than one nuclear power station, massive scale concrete, reinforced concrete projects. Lots of tunnels, bridges. I know you get nervous when you go over Thelwall Viaduct <laughs> because I was involved with that at one stage. But um, I will never go over there without thinking that it's actually stuck together by Velcro. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with these projects, some of them I can't talk about because I've worked yeah. for the Ministry of Defence and I've, I've done some of the projects that very, uh, let's say, highly stressed, very important, but quite secretive projects. You know, you can't always talk about stuff, but... Yeah, that's how I ended up getting into it. And there is no pleasure in it for me anymore. I have done it, and sometimes I have to do it, and I may have to do it again, but but it's really not what I want to be doing. Yeah. You know, I want to be doing this. This is what I love. Yeah. And also, uh, we've discussed it on an earlier show that when we meet each other, we call each other Brother Midnight, um, yes. <laughs> yes. Brother, Brother Dyson. Yeah. Um, but what people... That's because you're my brother, wasn't it? Yeah. I, love, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. And... Because like I say, I, I have known you for a long while and I saw the change from Patrick McBride to Midnight McBride mm -hmm. and it's like everyone loved seeing PJ at a party and then you fell off the scene and that's when I knew that you was going through that change. It, yeah. It's like people that do love you, they could sense that you were unhappy, yeah. that you, you wasn't just this mask, if you will, as a party. They saw the party, PJ, but they never saw Patrick when he was there. So, yeah, I didn't then, let people see me then. No, and then you fell off the scene and it's like, well, 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 well where's PJ? And then it's I heard that you'd found somewhere... I believe in the Lake District yeah. or towards the Lake Andrew District. Yeah, Andrew Street, Overston, yeah, which yeah. is where 
sanctuary really, somewhere I could go because I was, I was broken. I mean, you used that term in the last show. By the way, I forgot to change my T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it don't matter, the shows will be apart. Yeah. But yeah, I was broken. It's a term you used in the last show we filmed together. Yeah. And yeah, I was, I was in pieces, yeah. And I just needed space, time to heal, time to figure out yeah. what do I do now, you know? Yeah. So... So what made you go down? Because obviously uh, I've seen you give talks at like New Horizons and then obviously the transition between Party PJ and then doing the meditation and then afterwards. What made you go what I'd call the Buddhist route, the, the meditation route? What what? I heard a story once about two brothers that went in search for enlightenment. One went to a Tibetan mountain, one went to the Ganges, but they both found enlightenment at different places. What made you think the the, 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 the Buddhist route was the way to go? I never intentionally went down the Buddhist route. What I did is I wanted to learn to meditate. Yeah. And at Manjushri, it's hand in hand. I mean, you, you don't have to become a Buddhist to learn how to meditate, but that's what you get there. Mm. And synchronicity and alignment led me to Manjushri. There was a course starting just when I needed to learn yeah. how to understand the mind. And Geshe Kelsang Gyatso had just released the new book. Mm. And so, yeah, it just fell into place. And then, like I say, I went to learn to meditate. Yeah. But this beautiful, palpable wave of love came over me. If you spend time with Buddhist nuns, Buddhist monks in that environment, you can't really help but heal. You know, yeah. because there's there's no anger there. There's nobody falling out with anybody. Everybody is compassionate. You feel safe. And so I started to listen. Yeah. And I thought, this all makes sense. Everything I'm hearing makes sense, you know. Women and men are treated equally. doesn't matter what sexuality, you know, whatever your, your sexuality is. It doesn't matter what religion you are, because it's not a religion. They invite debate. They don't chastise you until you're going to hell. You're not yeah. damned if you don't do things. If you had the old burger and a glass of wine, oh, yeah. it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Just, it all made sense. Everything started to make sense, and I thought, yeah. I definitely need this in my life. Because yeah. there's been a couple of times in, in, the, in the past where we've talked, and I remember one time you was telling me that you was driving back from um, one of your retreats, where, and I hope you don't mind me saying it, you actually pull the car over because this uh, emotion came over you where it, it, it and, you, and you started crying like the whole world had just yeah, come I, off your shoulders. It was I felt inner peace for the first time. People think that they're peaceful, but very few people actually completely go into the gap, the stillness. There's always something going on mm -hmm. and your mind's busy, the television's on, radio's on, you're listening to music, whatever. And to experience pure peace, this wave of peace come over me. All the stress and anxiety leave your body. I was tense for 40 years. No. You know what I mean? I was a yes. tense motherfucker. <laughs> we, 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 we talked about in the last show, that sense of release. It's, it's, all, it's overwhelming. It is. Yeah. And I'd felt this feeling and I'd never felt it before. All my life, I had never felt this before. And it was just this beautiful peace and it was overwhelming and, and it was the only way I can explain it is if you can imagine having an orgasm or something <laughs> something along those lines but to try to give you some kind of grasp of what it was this this beautiful feeling that didn't end I was just in bliss yeah and 
that was a massive turning point for me. I knew then that I'd found something very, very special. Meditation and the Buddhist community, your Buddha, Dharma and your Sangha, the three jewels. Mm. And from this point, when I got back, I didn't want to lose that feeling. I knew if I turned the radio on, if I went to Asda, because mm. when you're that blissful and peaceful, this is all very alien. The external world, you see somebody arguing like, what is that? Because it's massive contrast yeah, to how you feel. Yeah. So... I didn't really want to engage the world for a few days after because I knew that this was temporary and it wasn't going to last and I was mm. concerned I didn't want to lose this feeling. Yeah. And sure enough, a few days passed and it faded. Mm. But then I learned how to get it back. Yeah. And I realised that if you constantly dip your toe into pure consciousness, what they call cosmic consciousness, and you move in that direction and you regularly learn the skills to keep bringing yourself back to this peaceful state and experience bliss and joy on a daily basis, it's a game changer. It does. You become happy. Your life improves exponentially in every direction. You're, you're nice to be around. You feel mm. good. You have loads of energy. You're happy. You eat the right foods. You stop smoking. You stop drinking. You stop taking drugs. You feel good. You don't need all the other stuff and the distractions. No. And you're not frightened of going into... Blaise Pascal yeah. always says, all man's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in a room on his own. And I know people that are frightened. They do not like being on their own. I love being on my own. I like mm. engaging people, but mm. I'm okay with me. Yeah. Self-acceptance and love. And when that, you learn that, yeah. life starts to get good. I mean, that's one thing I struggled with. And I mean, I'm fortunate because Janet's helped me with that. Where I was always surrounded by hustle and bustle and everything going on. But that that finding that you can sit by yourself quietly in a room and, and be at peace yeah. and, and be all right with that do you know some I mean? people are terrified of it and they need constant external interruption and stimulation they need some people have the tv on in the background yeah. adverts rolling out and all this because they like the noise they always want to be around people and they don't like being on their own and that's basically because you've got shit to deal with in here and being on your own sat in a space there's nowhere to go you've got to yeah. deal with your shit and that frightens people yeah because it's like i said in in in, in one of the last shows where I, I can find that now where I can sit there and, and I write. I, I write in the dark because obviously the, this transition that I've witnessed and it has been a magical transformation. That also you did the plant medicines as well that we've talked about on a, yep. on, a, on, a, on a couple of occasions. How did you arrive at plant medicines from doing the retreats or going yeah. on? Yeah, well, the meditation came first. And that really, really, it was a reset. Started, I'd had a nervous breakdown. I was in pieces. I couldn't function. I became very vulnerable because I went back to basics, opened the door, and I let myself feel. Yep. And it was terrifying. You know, I couldn't be around the same people. I didn't want to engage at all for a while. I didn't go outside. The meditation came first. I started to meditate. I started to feel really good. And that definitely put me on the right path. But for me, they're both absolutely pivotal in my life journey. And the ayahuasca, I'd thought about it for a long time and it improved exponentially, but there was still a sadness there. There's still a depression. Mm. I thought I'll try the ayahuasca as well. That was mm. what I wanted to do. And that was a game changer as well. Those, those probably the most two pivotal things I've done in my life, learn how to meditate yeah. and take an ayahuasca. Um, and then... Obviously, with the drugs and the medicines and this transformation, it's relationships as well. Because obviously, it's being on 
the radio before. Yeah, uh, yeah. That we're low. Um, and I'm I'm fortunate enough to have you both in my life, and you know how much I love you both. Yeah. Um, during this period in the change and everything else, and I, I, I can say that obviously relationships are tested and so on and so forth. I mean, how did Willow yeah. get into that? I mean, because I, I look at Willow and, and you together and she is a pillar of strength. Yeah, is. yeah. Yeah, she's put up with all my bullshit. And she, when we first met, we were both very different people. And I was a mess. And I'm slightly less of a mess now. <laughs> but I was a mess then, you know, and I was still, um, still having, you know, Violence was still in my life. Never with mm. her, obviously. I'd never hit a woman in my life. But I was still violent. I still, you know, I'd have a fight when I went out the odd time. Things yeah. like that happened. And I was still taking drugs. And she witnessed the nervous breakdown. And we both had things going on in our lives at the time. So it was a turbulent time. And, you know, we got together. We broke up. Mm. We got together. We broke up. Uh, we even eventually got engaged. And then I pulled the plug on that because I decided I just didn't want to go through the marriage process again. No. So it's not all been plain sailing by any means. But, yeah, she's always always been there. We're quantumly entangled. She knows what I'm thinking. She knows mm. what I'm feeling. We're connected on a spiritual level. And, yeah, yeah, she's a very, very special lady, and I'm very lucky. She is, she's she's beautiful, and, and like it's like the old saying goes, behind every strong man there's even stronger woman mm. and I was fortunate enough like when I met Janet and and we're both fortunate that Janet and and Steph Willow they're really really good friends that they they, they talk they uh, we've yeah. been out on on nature days and like you said when, when you change you, you well your soul family changes yeah, well, as well it's this is a quote I used in our last show is when you lift yourself up each time you raise yourself up invite everybody to come and see the view when one of your tribe changes for the better most of the others it starts a, a snowball effect and you know I changed and then some people distanced themselves other people saw positive change in my life and then it started in those two you know right. so yeah right going back to obviously your choice of career yeah. and, and then the change in career and I don't. I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but all this that you have achieved and setting up the studio, moving yourself away from radio into the podcast, the, the, the show. I still do the radio. Yeah, yeah. The radios, obviously, I still do the show on Monday nights on Sofa City Radio. But this obviously is my my main thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I meant to ask was, obviously, you have had no. And I hope you don't mind me saying this. I might be wrong. Not external help. This is all your work. The the technical. I mean, obviously, it goes off for editing, but the technical, the setting up the cameras, the setting up the studio, the like setting up the the, the shows and 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 where the fuck <laughs> you find the time? Where do you find the time? It's like, mm. I got work for ten hours. 10 to 12 hours a day, and I go, oh God, I'm lacking. And like, I'll phone you sometimes, and you go, I'm still in the studio. It's like 9, 10 o'clock at night. So, where yeah. do you find the time to? Well, I don't socialize very much. It's very rare I go out, and we've had a party or two recently. Recently? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago. <laughs> 
we've we've had the odd drink, yeah. and again, I don't drink very often. I think that's the no. third of probably the third time that I've had a few beers this year. Yeah. But I don't really socialise. I love what I do, and so I try and regulate myself. And I'm a quite extreme and obsessive, and I try and regulate that. And I need to work on that still. But you know, I regularly come in here at four or five in the morning. I'll go home yeah. late at night. I try not to do it every day, and. I'm usually in on a Saturday and quite often I come in on a Sunday morning. No. It's my passion. When something you passion, when it's, if you're passionate about something, it's your priority. And so y you find the time because you just spend all your time doing it. There's a quote in your book and I, I think I said it to you a good few years ago that if you find a job that you love doing, you will never work another day in your life. Yeah. That's not my quote. That's a common saying, but yeah. exactly right. If you love what you do, it's not work. No. It's not work. Work is doing something to get paid yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. And you can enjoy your job. I'm not saying you can't, but if we're being honest, most people don't. Most people would rather not be doing it. Yeah. I would rather be doing this. I love it, you know. Yeah. So I'm very lucky, but how long it'll last, where it'll go, I don't know. So I take it a day at a time. And... Yeah, yeah, it's fabulous. And I get to bring my friends in and, yeah. and meet new people. And it's just fabulous. I mean, you've had some, and, and I've said it, and I've put it on Facebook, and I've mentioned it on YouTube, that with your show, and, and I'm not being biased here in any way, shape, shape or form, you've had guests on, on this show, and it's like 45 shows, 46 shows, going and so forth. You yeah. set yourself a target, and now you've achieved that. It's... If you was approached by mainstream, would you go into mainstream or would you continue to do your Good question, job? yeah. And and obviously, we're not trying to get ahead of ourselves here. That yeah. may never happen. But let's say that did happen, you know, um, would I go into it? As long as I still had freedom. Yes. That's, my, that's the criteria. If I had very strict constraints, which is why, why I'm doing this, because mm. I don't, yeah. I'm still sensible about it. You know, I don't yeah. want to cause too many ripples but yeah i can pretty much talk about what i want and and bring on who i want if there were constraints involved with that where i couldn't do that then it wouldn't work for me yeah but i'd love to do it i'd love to be involved in mainstream but i'd have to be able to do what i want yeah. <laughs> you know within reason yeah but on top of like doing this in obviously the work the studio so on and so forth um, i believe well i don't believe i've actually seen it myself that you do iron man ultra running, marathons, and it's like, I asked you before, where do you find the time to like squeeze all that in as well? Well, <laughs> that's the other thing I do. So predominantly, my life consists of this yeah. and running. Yeah. You know, that's that's basically what I do most of the time. I do try and think factor other things in, especially I, I have to factor in time so that I can have some downtime. Sunday is usually our day. You know, we'll, we'll spend time doing something nice. Sometimes I have to come in in the morning for an hour. But, um, the running, especially if you're doing ultra running, it's, it is time consuming because if you're just going out for an hour, it's not really going to cut the mustard if you've got an event coming up. You need to be, you know, if you're going out for a run, you need to be out for three, five, six hours, whatever, you know, at least yeah. three hours, I'd say. And so, yeah, it's difficult to fit all that in. It is. Yeah. It is difficult to fit it all in. Time management is something I spend a lot of time on. <laughs> I spend... If you ever go out for a walk with Patrick, don't give him a time because it's like like the joke is, it's like 
my girlfriend Janet, she will. She's, she's late. Never been. She's, she's always she, bloody late, she, she's Janet. Never on time. And we we'd arranged to go out for a walk one time, and it was like, it's not. I wouldn't say it's OCD because it's like I'm I'm like you. I like to structure my day. Sometimes it's like you stick to a time so you mm. can squeeze in what you need to squeeze in. But yeah, I, sometimes it's like whenever you're late, it's like it does have an effect on you where yeah, does that yeah, yeah. come from I, I can tell you but i'll first of all say that i know people are late from time to time but when somebody's consistently late it's a pattern <laughs> isn't it <laughs> sort your shit out uh, sorry babe <laughs> <laughs> but i regiment my day yeah it's regimented I have to factor things in. I have to plan it. If I don't plan it, I have a really tight schedule, especially if I go to, I'm going up to three shows a week mm. with the back to front show and other things. For that to happen, what you do beforehand, then the show itself, pre-show chat, planning it, the editing notes after the edit it, then putting everything live with all the social media, different channels, the audio podcast. It's a lot of work. And if I don't regiment, I even have to schedule in phone calls. You know, now if somebody rings me and I'm busy, I can't answer the phone. You know, because yeah. I can't pull away from what I'm doing or it ain't going to be done. And I have things that go out on certain days. So a show go out. The next day, there'll be a, a second post, a slightly different post. The third day is the audio podcast. That goes live. And if you're doing three shows a week, it's like a cascade of commitments. So where that comes from, so I have to plan my time and regiment phone calls. And so I have to plan my calls now. You know, yeah. I have to factor them in. And it comes from... I remember, and I won't say who, why, what were, but in my childhood, somebody was always late. I mean, always, <laughs> always late for years. See, you can tell it's... it's for years. <laughs> and, you know, we'd arrive, we'd sit there an hour late, arrive, sit there 40 minutes late, arrive, I sit there an hour late. And this was all through my life. Yeah. And it drove me... You know, as a child, so you've not got the patient child when you're a bit older as well. But, yeah, I, I found it, I didn't like it. So I decided that, one, I was going to manage my time. It's something I, I, that was something I saw that I thought, I don't want to do that. But secondly, I thought, for other people, I'm never going to do this to other people. Mm -hmm. I never forget anybody's birthday. If no. you know me, you've known me for 20, 30 years. No. And you're somebody that I'm in contact with. I will never forget your birthday. It's mm. simple. I have a book. I write them down. I check yeah. it every day. If it's somebody's birthday, at the very least, you'll get a message on social media or something. But I don't need the social media because yeah. I know his birthday is. What you will do is you'll get a call, a card, or a, a, at least a text. But I think mm. it's really important. And I, I pride myself on that. And so for other people, I was late for you the other day, about 30 minutes. But I did message and explain. You, it was completely did. out of my yeah. control. And it's very unusual. Generally, I'm early. Yeah. And I pride myself maybe once or twice a year I'll be late for something but and it's out of my control yeah. but I'm on time and it's, it's me arriving saying your time's important as mine and I respect you I mean going back to the, the meditation part and obviously the, the change um, I was at one time very time critical it was you had to be there on time like in the army you had to be on parade five minutes before the actual parade took, took part so I was always on time then afterwards, it was like, if I was late, it wasn't the end of the world. I mean, the mm. world's still mm. going to go on, but it seems with you, it's still yeah. stuck. It's no, there, there is change because yeah. the critical time elements, the the regimentness is more about my life, not other people's. Yeah. 
and I don't socialise much and people are late and I'm, I'm, I'm not nearly as bad as I was because I don't see a lot of people on a regular basis so even if they're late they can't do it all the time because I don't see them all the time it doesn't trouble me mm. like that but I also say for example I'm not working on a Sunday on that day there is no clock I got off the clock mm. and in that period I wake up I lie in bed for a while get a bit of lunch have a brew whatever sugar, have a walk whatever there's, there's no plan I don't like a schedule on that day and that day I'm floating around in bliss mm. you know so I do factor that in, but for me to do what I'm doing, this this show, I have to be regimented, yeah. and yeah, I don't I don't really get too frustrated with the people being late. I joke about it and stuff, but um, it's not how I run my life. For me to do this, I have to be regimented. You know, yeah. it's the only way it works. If I just turn up and say, "I'll do this today and that day," this would all fall apart in five minutes. No, yeah. you know, and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but I am going to turn the tables a little bit here now. Because in the last few shows, we've talked about my journey and how it started, my spiritual awakening, if you will. And I've, and it's no great big secret. <clears throat> 12 months ago, um, I was at my lowest, lowest point and... I felt like I had no one to talk to, nowhere to go. And it was Christmas time. You'd got you'd gone away. Um and it was a destructive Christmas for me and then afterwards um you came round and hence I think I've mentioned that on the shows before we joke about it and I wear a t shirt that says breathe because you came round and people don't know this and I will talk to the camera, people don't know this. But people, you've had friends in the past and those friends that have st stuck along the way, they don't, I've never met a more loving, genuine, generous, forgiving friend. I can't, I, I can't express that enough. I was at my lowest point and you came in and you just said breathe everything is going to be fine i was sat mm -hmm. there in an empty shell of an house i'd i'd, I'd miss me son at christmas i'm sorry i'm getting terrible but yeah. i was um and you, you give me a lift up and i can honestly say with my hand on my heart that i will never ever ever forget that i'll never forget the person that helped me mm. get on this path and i'm sorry i don't get emotional but like i say i'm i'm feeling things for the first time in a long time yeah. but saying but saying that i just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of me i've never i've yeah. never been able to say with other people there it's Obviously, the viewers, you do not know how much this man has had an impact on my life. And I just want to say thanks. Well, you're very welcome. I'd do it again tomorrow. I'd do it again tomorrow. And um, I know you'd do it for me. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I don't let people in very easily. I, Although I have friends, my tribe, mm. people that I see on a regular basis all the time in my very close 
personal space, there are two or three, yeah. you know, and slightly outside that five or six. Beyond that, loads, beautiful people. But yeah. I'm still quite a private person, you know. I, there's certain things that, yeah, I talk about some things, and but I'm still private to a degree. And, yeah, I, I think a little bit initially, although I was in contact with you, I found it very difficult to have constant contact. I've always struggled yeah. with constant contact because I need I need distance and I don't like letting people in because I get hurt. Mm. And obviously I'm not saying that's the right way. I'm saying that's the way I am. Yeah. And um, But I let you in. And that was a, a risk for me, a gamble to a little bit because I don't let people in because I still, there's like this, I don't know, protective zone or whatever. But I, I let you in and... Um, yeah, you, I love you, as You're my, my best mate. And obviously with the show now and everything done, what, I'll do my Patrick <laughs> what's the future for Midnight McBride? What is, what would you like to unfold from, from, from here on? In? I'd love to take this show up to another level, have a bigger studio, more people involved and stuff, but at the minute I can't do that just yet. But I want to keep doing this because I love doing this. What I find, though, is a lot of the projects I do are set off in one direction and then they develop into something else. You know, I started teaching meditation. I thought, I'm going to write about that. And then I started writing about it. I thought, I want to talk about it. So the radio show. And then I'm doing the radio show. And I thought, actually, I've discovered that video is a great format and it's a great platform for everybody. It's, I, I love doing it. So, yeah, to keep doing this but I'd love to have the money to invest to really take this up a notch you know but for now I'm I'm still very lucky and I mean I've said it to you before and I I said it to a friend of mine the other night on the phone and I I said get yourself on Midnight McBride on YouTube because people come watch interviews on telly and I'm I'm sorry I'm I'm gonna refer refer to like BBC Um, you can watch Graham Norton, all these shows, and you watch the same celebrities being interviewed over and over and over again, and it's like, well, they've yeah. got a new movie coming yeah. out. Yeah. With this show, it's therapeutic as well because you get guessing from all walks of life. You, mm. You've you've sat here and done the show naked. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, you've, that, that was really important to me because with the radio, the first... 70 or 80 shows, predominantly spiritual guests, you know, which is fantastic and I'm very lucky and I'm still doing that. It's great. On this show, I've had a rapper, (laughs) activists, mediums, healers, uh, a mushroom expert, a medical herbalist, and the diversity. And I want to explore, I want to have the chats that other people maybe won't have. I want I want to, let's do it. Let's go deep. Let's yeah, talk definitely. about the shit that people yeah. aren't comfortable with. Let's figure it out together. Yeah. Talking about it, it's brilliant. And I want to explore the fringes as well. And so diversity on the show was critical for me. This was, I realised that very early on, that the radio is wonderful and I, I still do it and I love it. But this show, I want to bring somebody that I know somebody maybe I know nothing about, you yeah. know, and they've got a story to tell because this was nearly called, and the radio show, it's a title I've been playing with, was Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives. Everybody's got a story to tell. Yeah, because it's like on the radio, I've noticed that you could could have had guests on, but 
it's still mainstream, so things that you want to talk about can get, they'll pull you off air. Yeah, know? I mean, I'm very lucky. They, give, they cut me a lot of slack, but I know from shows I've done, there's certain things that you can't talk about on the radio. No. Yeah. So with your own channel, like you say, you can get people in, like people that you don't know, you've got stories to tell. Mm. And again, this is your generosity as well, because people, or, the, or what the viewers might not know is, actually how much goes in to making one of these shows. Mm. And I tell people <laughs> at, the begin, at, at the beginning of this, even just setting this studio up, it doesn't look that fantastic. It looks, you know, it's fairly plain and stuff. It took me two months to set this studio up, two yeah. months, mm. trying different, you know, so improved curtains, the layout, the lighting, all the different camera angles. Try and get in three cameras in a small pay, space to pick everything up. The sound, getting the sound right. And it, it, I played with it. And eventually I thought, well, I'm going to have to start filming. Or it's never going to be right. So I got to a point, I thought, yeah, it's okay. And as the shows have gone out, they've improved. But just the setting up was massive. And no, I don't think anybody probably has any idea of how much work goes into just, it, you know, a simple chat. But there's a lot of work goes into it. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, like, just going back to what I just said, that, that shows, I wrote something down not long ago and it's like a, a true reflection of characters to be able to look at reflection of that character and be true and that that's you you're such a, 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 a your generosity is overwhelming you, you get guests saying that the, the welcome so and yeah i mean yeah, yeah, I see. The, the, I think the, the I'm the lucky one, you know. I really do. I see myself as a lucky one because I get to have this experience. And it's not about having stuff. Life's all about experience, you know, and, and meeting other souls, like-minded souls. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And you'd be surprised as well. No matter what your story is, most people have a very similar message. I, I find it very interesting. That's why we talk about the suicide. We talk about the drugs. We talk about the violence. We talk about it all because... If you want to show somebody that you can evolve and grow and that, you know, it's never too late and all that, it means nothing if you don't show them what you've been through and how you've got there yeah. and they learn from it. So it's no good saying, well, this is what I do now and it's all amazing. That's fine. But yeah. usually you'll find for somebody's motivation, the drive, the reason they got there, a great example about this is Sandy Hull, a multiple yeah. European Thai boxing champion yeah. and a, a really beautiful man was bullied badly at school. And that he, drove he's him. a great guy, Sandy. Yeah. Colin Unsworth, Mr. Mushroom, he started off because he was bullied at school and started spending a lot of time in the forest and nature yeah. and started learning about mushrooms. And you'll find that a lot of people have experienced trauma and adversity, you know, and it's healthy to talk about it. If we don't talk about everything, we can't learn anything because well, without being fully informed with all the facts, we can't evolve and grow as a species it's like you said to me one time it's once you find yourself if you go out and do things that you like you will meet like-minded people um and like yeah. you said you, you you attract these people into your life um but yeah where, where, you, where you go from here it's like non-stop it's gone from growing up in bolton to Still here. <laughs> <laughs> we've not gone very far. Not, grow, not grown up. We're, we're still in Bolton. We're, we're, we're <laughs> yeah, but we're back in Bolton. But I said to you last night, then I wrote it down. I went, if you want to reach your final destination, don't set off. Now, yeah. I don't mean... 
don't experience it. That, that's right. Right, well, just don't set off. But you will come full circle. Yeah. It, it's explained as... It's in The Alchemist and the young shepherd goes on his journey looking for treasure and he meets the alchemist and he ends up at the pyramids of Egypt and then he ends up coming back home and finds out that the treasure was there all along, you know. And quite often you can find, even with relationships and things, what you're looking for, sometimes if you look too hard and you pursue and you pursue and you pursue, you can't see it. And then if you pause, stay still, what you're looking for sometimes is right in front of your nose. Right there, it's been there all along. The house with the golden windows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on that note, I really, I'm, I've asked the questions that I need to ask. Um, all right. So Midnight McBride, Patrick Joseph McBride, thank you very, very much. Wesley Dyson, my my lover. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you, were good. Um, you just can't help no, yourself. No, I know. Can't I find it funny. Uh, Really, really appreciate you doing this. That was very heartfelt, beautiful, and hopefully people will watch this. It, I think it's really good to share. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, what I took from it was, do you know, re relationships can be formed and friendships can be formed, but when there's that connection that you feel is on another, I'll do you, another level, it's, yeah. it's great, it's it's this last 12 months, I know that, like you said, I've had thoughts. I Would I be here? But I know who helped me get here. Good, so, good. Yeah, well, yeah, all good. It's all good. Thanks for watching, everyone, and have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Shalom. Shalom, motherfucker. Shalom. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to the Midnight McBride Show with me, your host, Midnight McBride. I am a YouTube podcaster, radio broadcaster, author, meditation teacher, sight surveyor, Ironman, Ultraman, triathlete. And as you know, I am also the author of From Pills to Peace by me, Midnight McBride. This book has had more plugs of <laughs> me in Q bathroom showroom <laughs> and I try to get it in everywhere as much as I can you can also find me on my website midnightmcbride.com I am also on Facebook Instagram Twitter LinkedIn Chatroulette Amigle Snapchat Tinder and Grinder. and today's guest we have Patrick McBride Shalom. All right, Midnight. <laughs> yeah. Well, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Uh, my, my second book is um, From Peace to Pills. <laughs> because I can't take it anymore. Oh. So, where do we go from here? Well, I've got a couple of questions for Midnight. Right, go for it. Let's do it. Midnight. Are you going to continue to take the piss out of me on a regular basis? More, most definitely. It's like, how can you not take the... What was your name again? Mid Midnight, was it? 
Mid, 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 midnight. 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 Yeah. Midnight. 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 I, I can't get it in anywhere at all. It's like from peace to pill, from peace to pills, or from pills to peace by me, your host, Midnight McBride. So it starts on the radio. Midnight McBride, my own website, Midnight McBride. Midnight. <laughs> Hence, Midnight. <laughs> What's the show called? It's called, funnily enough, The Midnight McBride Show with me, your uh-huh. host. Midnight McBride. And if I wanted to find your website or have a look on the social media channels, what should I search on the internet? Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and your second book, Midnight, what's that called? And who, who wrote that one? Well, the second book, From Pills to Peace or From Peace to Pills. <laughs> from Peace to Pills. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is you. Did you you don't realise that you did a show with a pair of glasses on your head and a pair of glasses on your face, surrounded by notes and your books. <laughs> and one of them, I thought, he strategically placed these books on this table. It's like they are on every show. I thought it I just is, had one. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, but it's it, your book is. Oh, sorry, my book by Midnight Moon. <laughs> it's normally strategically placed. <laughs> In one place. But do you know the truth? Do you know why the book's there? Go on, go on. And this Buddha, this is, there's a lot of technical stuff I've had to learn over the, and some of it I didn't learn, I just taught myself, I figured it out. When I set the cameras up to get the frame correctly, there's a key ornaments placed so that I can line the camera up, and it means that if I have to move the camera, I can put it back quite quickly, and I don't have to play with everything because you've got height, left and right, and obviously... Your focus. So the book's actually placed very strategically so I can set that camera up quickly. And I know I joke about it, but honestly, viewers, if you've not read this book and I am not taking the mickey, it is it's an incredible journey. I mean, I joke with you that it, how, how you managed to sell a book of somebody else's quotes. <laughs> I, you can get fucked. <laughs> <booked. laughs> no, but Sorry. honestly, I mean, we're joking. You've got because, like I say, it's a number one selling book. On, it, I mean, it was, yeah. It was. Yeah, I mean, I mean. I don't, I don't plug ob- it. I don't ob- plug ob- it so ob- much ob- anymore. Like, like, <laughs> obviously, like the storage locker is still like two hundred and fifty thousand copies. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to get best selling book by buying them all yourself. Yeah, well, that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, honestly, I just want. I know, joking aside, I've read this book and on my path and on my journey and referring back to the past show I do I take the mic because you are my friend and you know it's all done in jest but you need to read this book if you haven't read the book the book is amazing there's some I know you say I'm prolific at writing poetry there's there's a couple of pieces in there where I'm like Wow. Yeah. I only wrote one piece of poetry and then my good friend Don wrote, there's another I've four. I've been fortunate po- enough to meet Don. Yeah. yeah. He wrote four or five of the poems in that book. I, I spoke to him about it and we decided it was a good idea. It was a good fit with the book. But I think the book, I, hopefully, it's got humour in it. I do not take myself too seriously. It's very honest and dark in places. It makes you reflect and look back on the world with different perspective and makes you see that the human race is quite insane on the whole and that, you know, we're, no. we're broken and we know we've got a lot of work to do. I mean, one thing I, I, I forgot to mention on the last show was in the book. 
wasn't my idea to put these books here, by the way. Wes wanted to no, take the piss. That's yeah, why so we're I doing was, it. I was saying, <laughs> the, the, the book has, like I said, the books have more plugs than a B&Q bathroom yeah. showroom. But, no, seriously, in the book, and I meant to ask this question. Obviously, being the life and soul of a party, mm. and then where you're at now, it's, and in the book you mention it, where you got I, 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 I. And then it does become very lonely because I had, after Christmas, when I came around, I thought, and I, I hope I don't offend anyone here, I looked at my Facebook and I looked at the past parties and everyone else, and I, and, and it was, and it, it was deeply upsetting. I looked at some people and went, I, I, I removed myself from, from their life because it was... You had a purge, didn't you, basically? Yeah, you, it was... I was getting away from that. Yeah. I, I'd laugh some memories, some, some mm. good good memories, e but that was... Even if some of these people are not intentionally being a negative influence on your life, when you decide you're going to take a different road, a different path, and you're going to start to heal and put yourself back together again, you need to create distance from negative influences in your life. At a later stage, you might be stronger and it might not matter. But initially, I had to remove myself from anything negative in my life for a while because I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't strong enough. Yeah. And where you had a friend purge, I, or you did it maybe gradually and picked through them. I didn't. I just shut the world out. Yeah. I had to fix myself. I had to heal. I had to figure it out. And I couldn't afford to let some of the negative situations in my life evolve and happen again, you know, until I put myself back together. So I shut, you know, complete shutdown for me. Yeah. And just one on the book, I don't, and I am going to open the book because I do have a copy at my house, which I'm fortunate enough to have. And my five-year-old son picked the book up and he went, Daddy, I can draw better than that. I know, <laughs> I know. So, go on, go on. I'll explain. Disgusting. Go on, yeah. uh, explain the artistry yeah. in the book. I, I don't claim to be the best writer, and I don't, certainly no artist. And I even drew those out. I had a point to get across a message. Yeah. And I drew them out. And they explained my point very well. But, you yeah. know, the, the stick figures, they're, they're just there to make a point. And I got somebody else to draw them out for me neatly. And they did a great job. You should have seen the original drafts of those. <laughs> you should have seen the original draft. But the concept, the idea was all mine. Yeah. And then I got um, somebody else to to make them presentable. Yeah. I'm not an artist or anything like that. I'm just, you know, I'm not the best writer, but I do believe I have a, a message, mm. a, a song to sing. I've got something to say. And that's just how it happened, you know, but I, I think they're quite funny anyway. I like oh, it. They're, they're absolutely brilliant. But like joking aside, like I said, in the book, it's, it's therapeutic. It is an emotional roller coaster, and I cannot, tell you that obviously knowing your past and where you're at now that watching this transformation it's been amazing from the book to the show well to the radio to the to the show mm. honestly I, I i i can say it now to the moon like, next to, right, the to stars the, yeah, yeah. To the stars. Mm. but on, honestly brother you've done amazing right you well know. that means a lot and i really appreciate it yeah, and I'd just like to say a massive thank you, Wesley. It's, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you.
Shalom, motherfucker. Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but let's do another shalom. Shalom. Just a normal one. Right. Shalom. shalom. Motherfucker. <laughs> you are getting it in, didn't you? <laughs> oh. Thank you.